listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show, coming up with Gavin Walker.
Well, can you believe it? It's July already. <laughs> Amazing how time flies. And uh, time is going to fly on uh, this program this evening because uh, this is the jazz show, a regular feature on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and I'm your host as I am here every Monday evening with some of the very best in jazz music. And we have, uh, of course, uh, quite a show lined up for you this evening. Three hours of some of the finest in jazz music. And one of the important parts of our show, of course, is the jazz feature, which is on or shortly after 11 o'clock, the latter part of our program. And tonight, the feature is one of the greatest of all tenor saxophonists and one of the major voices on that instrument, and I'm talking about Eugene Ammons. Gene Ammons, uh, otherwise known, his nickname was Jug, and that wasn't because he drank uh, or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's because he had big ears. And, of course, nicknames, you know, abound in music, and he had these big ears, and uh, they ended up calling him Jughead because, he had, because of his, his ears. And, of course, that became shortened to Jug, and that was a nickname that stuck with him. And uh, all his buddies called him that, and uh, a lot of his uh, fans. He was a, an extremely popular performer, and uh, he had a sound on the tenor saxophone that was uh, unequaled in jazz music. And although he wasn't uh, endured um, by the critics uh, for a long time, they finally came around and recognized how, how great this guy was. But, of course, during his really active part of his career, uh, Gene Ammons was subject to a kind of dismissal. Um, and... Um, They'd say things like, "Well, he's got a yeah, he's got a sound, but I, it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, it's a big kind of an R&B type sound, and not really a jazz sound. And and his ideas are kind of shopworn, and he plays the same thing over and over again all the time, and this kind of thing, which was uh, totally wrong. But uh, you know, critics can be that way. Uh, musicians like Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane worshipped Gene Ammons and considered him um, every bit their equal. And, of course, he was really one of the major innovators of the tenor saxophone. And there is nobody today that even comes close to playing like Gene Ammons. Uh, there's just nobody that uh, has ever equaled that kind of sound and so on. His dad was uh, one of the most famous boogie-woogie pianists, Albert Ammons, and raised his son um, in a musical environment, of course, and uh, told his son when, his, when young Gene was, lo was looking, because uh, his father used to take him to these big band concerts and so on, and Gene really liked the look of the saxophone and the way... Um, the way the men stood when they when they played and when they soloed, and he was quite enamored with that. And he said, "That's what I like to do." And his dad said, "Sure, Bob, we'll get you a saxophone." Um, and once June started, then then the old man dug in and said, "There are two things you got to do, son. You got to get yourself a sound and develop that sound, and get a good teacher to teach you how to make a good sound, and you have to learn to read." music. 
because if you can't read music, you won't get any jobs, even if you play well. So those two things Gene Ammons did, and of course uh, developed a sound that was uh, unequal. Anyway, with that in mind, that's going to be our jazz feature this evening. It's uh, um, a live uh, performance that took place in a little ghetto club in Watts, in the African-American area of Los Angeles, when a lot of these little small clubs, they don't do it anymore. Today, they feature other kinds of music like R&B and disco and stuff like that. But in the 50s and 60s, uh, the ghetto areas of some of the major cities uh, had all kinds of jazz clubs. And um, what came into fashion was having the, uh, um, a Hammond organ group in these jazz clubs, in these neighborhood jazz clubs. And so this is what was happening. This is what this gig is about. Uh, the house band was led by a wonderful organ uh, exponent, one of the best, one of my favorites, Richard Groove Holmes and his trio with uh, a couple of people, uh, a guitar and, and drums. And Groove Holmes was a, a transplanted um, product. He was born in uh, Camden, New Jersey, and got out of that hellhole and moved to Los Angeles and began working uh, in all the joints in, um, around uh, the L.A. area and became uh, quite famous, began recording and so on, and led this wonderful little trio. And one night, this small club decided to bring in Gene Ammons to play with, um, to perform with the house band led by Richard Groove Holmes. And that's how this album came about. So what happened was that, uh, although this was a one-evening affair, uh, Ammons arrived in the afternoon, and uh, they recorded... They went in, actually went into a recording studio, and off the top of their head, they recorded three great tunes for the Pacific Jazz label that, w that was owned by a gentleman named Richard Bach. And during the afternoon uh, recording session, the band had gelled so well that Richard Bach says, you know, I'm going to take all the equipment down tonight and record you guys in, in the club in the Black Orchid, where they were playing this one-nighter gig. And that's basically going to be our feature album, will be the evening performance of these guys in this club, with this enthusiastic, uh, mostly African-American audience that didn't miss a thing. And you'll hear their cheers and applause and all that kind of stuff, and the great inspired music by Gene Ammons, Richard Groove Holmes, and company. But we're going to open the show with the three tunes that they recorded the afternoon for Pacific Jazz Records in the studio, which inspired the producer to record the band during the evening. So these three tunes we're going to hear um, to kick off the show. So you'll get a little preview of what this uh, jazz feature is all about. So we have Gene Ammons on tenor saxophone, Richard Groove Holmes on organ, who plays the best, as far as I'm concerned, the best bass lines um, on the Hammond organ of anybody. And that should be because he was formerly a bass player. 
<laughs> he gave it up, moved to organ. So there you go. Never play piano. Uh, most organ players played the piano before they switched to organ. Uh, on guitar, um, lesser known gentleman, fine guitarist, Gene Edwards. And on drums, uh, a straight ahead, tasty drummer by the name of Leroy Henderson. Uh, we're going to hear these three tunes recorded in the studio. The first one is a simple title written by G. Dammons. It's called Groovin' with Jug. The second tune is a minor key blues written by Richard Groove Holmes, the organist, and it's called Morris the Minor. You know, after the car, remember the Morris Minor cars? Uh, you might be too young uh, out there to remember those cars, but I'm sure a few of you will. So that's what it's called, Morris the Minor. The third tune is a real finger buster because it goes through all the 12 keys. It's a blues, but um, it, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's pretty uh, virtuos, virtuostic. And Gene Ammons proves that he, play, he can play the blues in all 12. It changes every 12 bars to a, to a new key, goes up a step, goes around the whole cycle. And uh, that last tune is written by Gene Ammons, and it's called, Hey, you, what's that? So there you go. We're going to uh, open the show with these guys, and as I said, a bit of a preview to our jazz feature. Gene Ammons on tenor saxophone, Richard Groove Holmes on the Hammond organ, Gene Edwards on guitar, Leroy Henderson on drums. Here we go. Thank <laughs> you. 
As kind of a preview of our jazz feature this evening, this was uh, done in the afternoon of August 15, 1961, at uh, Pacific Jazz Recording Studios 
in Los Angeles by this uh, group. They had just met, never played together before as a, as a group, um, other than the, uh, the three guys, the organ and the guitar and uh, drums. They were, but they had never played with Gene Ammons before. And uh, they put together these uh, three tunes in the uh, studio of uh, Pacific Jazz Records. And the producer, Richard Box, said, um, you guys are playing at the Black Market down in Watts this evening. I'm going to get uh, my portable recording studio and record you guys tonight, he said, because uh, you guys sounded so great this afternoon and uh, just uh, put it all together so easily. Tonight's gig should be a gas, and I'm going to record it. And, of course, that's what happened, and that's going to be our jazz feature later on. So this is a bit of a preview recorded on the afternoon of August 15th, 1961. Shows you that jazz musicians get up and can function in the afternoons, in the daylight hours, as well as the nighttime hours, right? Maybe they uh, never went to bed, uh, who knows? Anyway, we heard Gene Ammons, the great Gene Ammons on tenor saxophone. Richard Groove Holmes, one of the foremost exponents of the Hammond organ. Gene Edwards on guitar, and Leroy Henderson on drums. And we heard three tunes. Uh, the first one was called Groovin' with Jug, written by Gene Ammons. And Jug, as I mentioned before, was his nickname. Uh, the second tune was a minor key blues called Morris the Minor, put together by Richard Groove Holmes. And the final tune was called Hey You, What's That, written by Gene Ammons. And, of course, uh, uh, at the tail end of the uh, tune, Gene Ammons went through all the keys uh, in that 12-bar blues and uh, played... Uh, a solo in uh, in all of the uh, twelve keys went around the clock as uh, as they used to say, so um, that was a, a neat piece uh, of um, musicality, and uh, as I said, that's a preview of our jazz feature tonight. And we'll hear that band as they sounded in front of a live, animated, and really cool audience at the Black Market in Los Angeles. We'll do that after 11 o'clock. All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And coming up next is an album that I've always liked. I didn't know this place didn't exist uh, except in the mind of McCoy Tyner. And um, I, I thought it was some mythical place. Um, I suppose it's mythical because it doesn't exist. And I thought maybe it was actually a country, or not a country, but uh, uh, a city maybe, or uh, uh, an area that I'd never heard of. Anyway, the piece of music that we're going to hear is, and it's the title track from this wonderful album by McCoy Tyner. Uh, he did it in 1974. The, uh, the piece of music is called Sama La And, um, no, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Sama Layuka. Yes, yes. Gee, Gavin, get it right. Sama Layuka. And, um... For a long time, as I, I said, I thought that was uh, an actual place, but I found out it's uh, strictly McCoy Tyner's imagination. Uh, <laughs> and that's the title. That, uh, we're going to listen to the title track, and it's especially put together, uh, banned by McCoy. McCoy, of course, on piano. The great on this track 
uh, well, on all tracks, one of the greatest of all bass players, Buster Williams. On drums, Billy Hart. Uh, on vibes, Bobby Hutcherson. On oro, John Stubblefield. On alto saxophone, Gary Bartz, one of my favorites. And on uh, soprano saxophone on this piece, Azar Lawrence, who was a member of McCoy's working band of the time. Um, a couple of percussionists, Mitume, uh, who was Jimmy Heath's son, and uh, a friend of mine, Gil Herman Franco, another very fine percussionist. And uh, we're going to hear the title track. We're going to hear uh, Sama Leyuka, and we're going to follow that with a duet uh, with Bobby Hutcherson and McCoy Tyner, just the two of them. And it's a piece of music written by McCoy called Above the Rainbow. So here are these two pieces from this uh, wonderful album, Sama Leyuka.
two pieces of music by McCoy Tyner. And first uh, piece was the title track from the album Sama Leyuka. And it was played by his uh, ensemble featuring um, Azar Lawrence on soprano saxophone, Gary Bartz on alto saxophone, John Stubblefield on oboe, Bobby Hutchison on vibes, Buster Williams on bass, Billy Hart on drums, two percussionists, Matume and Gilherme Franco, and of course, McCoy Tyner at the piano, and it was his composition. Recorded uh, in March of 1974 from uh, the album of the same name. And the second piece of music was a duet between Bobby Hutcherson and McCoy Tyner, a composition by Mr. Tyner, and it's called Above the Rainbow. Two pieces from that uh, great album, Samaleuka. We'll be back after uh, an important message and a couple of things to tell you about, and we'll be back with some um, artists from Toronto, and uh, specifically guitarist David Acapinti, and a brand new album that... um, has just come out. The album is called Bristles, and we're going to hear um, a beautiful track on this album, and I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. But first... How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen and then get riding. got some pretty good news about the uh, weather, which of course uh, <laughs> everybody was worried over the weekend. I saw a lot of postings on Facebook, people saying, is summer gone? Is it over? What's going on? Where's our summer? Well, it's here, and it's going to be here for the rest of the week, um, according to the forecast. Pretty amazing forecast, as a matter of fact. And tonight, of course, it's going to be clear, a little bit windy near the water, and a very comfortable 15. Then tomorrow, sunny, with a low 15 and high between 24 and 28. Then for the rest of the week, uh, there's only one word. Sunny, 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with lows between 16 and highs between 23 and 25. It doesn't get any better than this. And um, our summer is here. And, of course, uh, we deserve it. It um, usually doesn't last as long as we would like it to last. So uh, the best thing to do is appreciate it while it is here. Live for the moment, as they say. So there you go. Summer. All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. One of the most prominent musicians uh, out of Toronto is guitarist David Acapinti. And uh, he's got a, a lovely new album out called Bristles. And we're going to hear um, a tune from that album. His ensemble is small. As a matter of fact, it would fit in your living room because it consists of Andrew Downing, Andrew Downing on uh, acoustic bass and Jim Lewis on trumpet, just the three of them. And, of course, David Acapinti on guitar. This is a beautiful uh, piece of music by Antonio Carlos Jobim, and it's called Once I Loved. David Alcapinti and Company.
interesting and introspective version of a tune written by Antonio Carlos Jobim and uh, was recorded in the Jazz Room uh, in Waterloo back in January 19th, 2013 and um, featured guitarist David Acapinti, Jim Lewis on trumpet and Andrew Downing on acoustic bass. Part of an album uh, just out uh, by David Acapinti in called Bristles. And um, that, of course, is uh, available on Octav Music. O-C-C-D-A-V Music. And uh, you can find it um, on David's website, which is triple uh, W. David Occhipinti, spelled O-C-C-H-I-P-I-N-T-I, dot com. So there you go. Brand new album. We've got a couple of marvelous piano players here coming up for uh, two tunes. The first one is by one of my favorite pianists, and uh, this man... Uh, was originally the um, original pianist in John Coltrane's classic quartet, and he relinquished his position um, for McCoy Tyner. And it was done very amicably. Um, And I'm talking about Steve Kuhn, and he was uh, one of the very first jazz musicians to graduate from Harvard University uh, back in the late 50s. Very intelligent man, still alive, and wonderful piano player. And, of course, he went on to a great uh, career, leading his own trio and and doing stuff. But he was chosen by John Coltrane to be the first pianist in Coltrane's new quartet. And after a while, he decided that he couldn't contribute 
to, uh, although he was not being dictated to by John Coltrane, he felt that he couldn't make a contribution. And he had a long talk with, uh, with, uh, with John Coltrane and said, I'm, I really have to leave this organization, and I hope you can find someone, um, a suitable replacement for me, that will do more justice to your music than I will. And, and Coltrane was very regretful of this, but uh, he did have McCoy Tyner in mind, and of course the rest is now history. Steve Kuhn, of course, went on to, as I said, after this uh, incident, went on to a great career, played with all kinds of people. But this is from a solo concert that took place at the Maybeck Recital Hall um, in Berkeley in the early 90s. And uh, we're going to hear Steve's rendition of a composition credited to Miles Davis, but also um, thought to be composed by guitarist Chuck Wayne and appropriated by Miles Davis. Miles had a tendency to do that on a few tunes, and this is one of them. Mostly because Miles usually recorded a definitive version of the tune, and even though it wasn't his composition, he put his stamp on it, and, and of course gets the royalties uh, on some tunes, and there's, there's several in the Davis repertoire, but we won't get into that. This tune is called Solar, and uh, this is Steve Kuhn at the piano. And we're going to follow that with a version from a brand new album called Last Dance with pianist Keith Jarrett and bassist Charlie Hayden. And we're going to listen to their version of Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. But first, Steve Kuhn at the Maybach Recital Hall.
we heard two great pianists, beginning with Steve Kuhn, recorded at the Maybach Recital Hall in November of 1990, solo piano, and we heard his um, glorious version of a tune attributed to Miles Davis called Solar, and of course Steve made a whole symphony out of that tune uh, for uh, almost 10 minutes. Beautiful pianist, Steve Hune. And the second is, uh, piece of music is a duet. And uh, it's a follow-up from an earlier album. And this is more of the same. It's an ECM release, and it's called Last Dance. And it's a reunion. They hadn't played together in 30 years. Of uh, Keith Jarrett at the piano, of course, and Charlie Hayden on bass. And uh, it was recorded uh, at Jarrett's home studio in Oxford, New Jersey, in March of 2007. They, ha- they hadn't even seen one another in all those years. And, of course, uh, um, Hayden was uh, a member of uh, Keith Jarrett's uh, American Jazz Quartet. He had a European Jazz Quartet and an American Jazz Quartet at the, in the, during the 70s. And uh, then they moved in different directions, and then they had a reunion and played some beautiful music together, Keith Jarrett and Charlie Hayden. So this is from the second album with the same duet, and uh, the album is called Last Dance, and we heard Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. You know, today is the birthday of one of the great... And, of course, he was always remembered as being one of the great unsung tenor saxophone players. Um, he, he came up in the same era as Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane. And, of course, um, he didn't have the same approach uh, to the tenor saxophone. He had a, a softer, more, um, I guess, more melodic approach, a smoother approach. And uh, so he... He wasn't noticed as much during his career, and uh, he was always considered, he got stuck with this through, throughout his whole career, um, the underrated Hank Mobley. Hank Mobley was uh, a major, major tenor player, and of course, uh, uh, after his passing in 1986, um, just about everything that he ever recorded for Blue Note, which was the label that he recorded most for, uh, people just reevaluated him, of course, and uh, it's the fate of so many artists to be recognized after their death. During the time of Mobley's life, it wasn't as if he was um, criticized or put down a lot, he was just simply dismissed. It was like, oh, another Hank Mobley record. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, let's get back to the new Rollins or new Coltrane record kind of thing. That was the attitude, and, and poor Hank sort of suffered the, being the uh, in always third rank. And, of course, Hank um, played with some of the most important musicians in jazz, including Art. He was the, one of the, he was the original member of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and um, he, he, he uh, um, joined Miles Davis for a couple of years in the um, early 60s and was a very important part of that band and, of course, made scads of records under his own name. 
and uh, a great composer, wrote tunes like you would sit down and write a letter. Hank Mobley would be in the studio and he'd write uh, a whole album's worth of tunes. Um, <laughs> and then they would record them. This kind of thing. Hey, Hank was just that prolific, um, marvelous player. He was raised by his mom in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and he was born today, July 7th, in 1930. And um, Hank, of course, uh, passed away uh, fairly young in 1986. He had been ill for a number of years and uh, wasn't able to uh, perform. Uh, if he was, uh, it was very, very sporadic in his final years, uh, from about 1980 on, and um, it was too bad. But uh, he did posthumously gain a lot of recognition, and now he's, of course, um, so many people's favorite tenor saxophonist. And uh, I know a lot of people that... uh, you know, they say, well, John Coltrane, of course, and Sonny Rollins, of course. But you know who my favorite is? Hank Mobley. And I know a lot of saxophone players have told me that. And uh, I, can, I can understand why. Hank Mobley was called the welterweight champion of the tenor saxophone. <laughs> so there you go. That was his distinction. Anyway, this is, um, we're going to play a couple of Hank Mobley things as a tribute to his uh, stature as a musician and his birthday and just give kudos to one of the all-time great tenor saxophonists and composers. We're going to hear Hank on an album called Roll Call, and uh, we're going to listen to the title track, and what a band. Uh, On trumpet, Hank's partner on the front line, Freddie Hubbard, who was just in his early 20s on this recording, some magnificent piano by Wilton Kelly, Paul Chambers on bass, the Tower of Strength, But the real strength behind this piece is the dynamic drumming of the one and only Art Blakey. And um, Art always played a little bit differently when he appeared as a sideman. He played a certain style. He was always Art Blakey. He played a certain style, of course, when he played with his own band, the Jazz Messengers. But when he recorded with someone else, uh, there were slight alterations in his style, and yet he remained firmly Art Blakey. Anyway, he's, uh, he's incredible on this uh, piece of music. This is the title track from this uh, great Blue Note album, uh, recorded in 1960, in November of 1960, and this is uh, called Roll Call. The great Hank Mobley.
had a little birthday tribute to the great Hank Mobley. He would have been 84 today. Uh, he was uh, born in Eastman, Georgia in, on this day in 1930 and passed away in 1986. He was raised by his mom in Newark, New Jersey, and that's where he developed uh, his skills on the uh, tenor saxophone. Well, all the saxophones. He played uh, alto tenor and baritone saxophone. And, of course, uh, a most talented musician and went on to uh, play with Art Blakey's Jazz Messenger, switching uh, to tenor, was his, uh, became his main instrument, and later on joining Miles Davis's uh, great aggregation and, of course, made scads of recordings under his own name. And uh, we just gave you a small sample of um, Hank's music. But uh, we started out with... Uh, an album called Roll Call, and gave you the title track from that album. This is uh, one of uh, Mobley's um, most prominent albums for Blue Note Records. And uh, this was a hand-picked quintet with a uh, young Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Winton Kelly on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and some magnificent drumming by, of course, Art Lakey. And uh, we heard the title track, a Hank Mobley composition called Roll Call. Then we move to a ballad, a beautiful rendition of a tune called Little Girl Blue and given a loving treatment by Hank Mobley. Of course, the tune was written by Rogers and Hart. And he was accompanied by Barry Harris on piano, Doug Watkins on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. Then we move to another Hank Mobley composition and another Hank Mobley recording session with Kenny Barham on trumpet, Walter Bishop Jr. on drums, uh, Doug Watkins once again on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And we heard a Hank Mobley composition called Zlento. And that was from an album called Mobley's Second Message. The ballad Little Girl Blue was from an album called Mobley's Message. And they recorded, were recorded about a week apart in 1956. So just a small sample of um, Hank Mobley's uh, recordings. And, of course, a great tribute to, um, or a small tribute to this great tenor saxophonist who was known affectionately as the welterweight champion of the tenor saxophone. And, of course, uh, he suffered during his, his career. Um, he, he was liked, but he was never given the honor that uh, was bestowed upon people like Stan Getz and Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane. And uh, he certainly should have been. And um, he suffered throughout his career as always being referred to as underrated. And this kind of, kind of was a stigma uh, of Hank Mobley. And, of course, after his death in 1986, he became, once again, rediscovered and, of course, uh, suffered the fate of so many artists, rediscovered after their, their, their um, untimely demise. But we're very fortunate that Hank recorded prolifically, especially for Blue Note Records, and uh, um, his legacy is well preserved. So happy birthday, Hank Mobley, wherever you may be. Mm -hmm. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9.
or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we're here, of course, every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. And uh, just a couple of websites that I'd like to uh, tell you about that are very important, because uh, there is a lot of jazz happening right here in Vancouver, played by resident musicians and visiting musicians. Even though the jazz festival is over, uh, the music continues. And we're going to, um, uh, you can find out by going to a couple of comprehensive websites that uh, you can play around on all the links and find out what's going on on a nightly basis in Vancouver uh, as regards jazz music. It's very easy. Uh, One of them is uh, the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's a very comprehensive website. And the other one, um, their site, of course, is coastaljazz.ca. The other one is put together by my good friend, Brian Nation, who always keeps it up to date. And that's vancouverjazz.com. And there's all kinds of links on there, including all the gigs that are happening and uh, the most recent events and that sort of thing. So that's a good site to get onto. And um, that's it. I'd just like to mention... Um, my friend uh, Ken Speller. Uh, Ken is a wonderful saxophone player. He's also a repairman. And if you play the saxophone or the clarinet or the flute and uh, either are an amateur, a pro, student, whatever your level, uh, you have to keep your instrument in shape. And Ken Speller is a good man to know. He's a wonderful repairman. He has his own repair shop right in his home and uh, works independently and uh, is very efficient and knows what he's doing. And uh, you can get him at uh, um, kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. And um, he's located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. Ken Speller. All right. Our jazz feature tonight. Uh, We heard right at the beginning of our program... We heard uh, what these guys did in the recording studio in the afternoon. And they did three tunes. We, uh, we listened to them all. And um, the recording producer, Richard Bach, for Pacific Jazz Records, was so impressed by these guys. Uh, they had never played together as a group before. Um, at least uh, they had never played together with the great tenor saxophonist Gene Ammons, who was the subject of our jazz feature this evening. And uh, he decided to, uh, after the, the, they uh, delivered the tunes in the afternoon, he decided that he, at the last minute, he was going to head down to the club that they were playing at that evening in Watts, in Los Angeles, a club called the Black Orchid. And it was right in the ghetto uh, of, um, in Watts, and uh, it was one of those little neighborhood clubs that were, were so common in uh, the African-American areas um, of big cities in the United States. And, of course, most of them featured jazz at the time. And I'm talking about uh, back in the early 60s. And a lot of them featured um, organ groups. In other words, organ trios, Hammond organ, guitar, uh, and drums, uh, maybe a couple of horns, that sort of thing, but organ-based. And the Black Orchid was um, no exception to that because the house band was led by one of the great organists in jazz, 
Richard Grove Holmes. And Richard Grove Holmes was an ex-bass player and uh, switched over to Hammond organ, never played the piano, just took up the Hammond organ. And, of course, uh, Richard Groove Holmes delivers some of the finest bass lines you're ever going to hear because he's an ex-bass player. Uh, he's appearing here with um, Gene Edwards on guitar and Leroy Henderson on drums. And that was the house band at the Black Orchid. And for this one night only, August 15, 1961, they were featuring one of the greatest of all tenor saxophonists. And, of course, the place was jam-packed. And um, it's um, so wonderful that uh, Jim Ammons uh, rallied to the cause and um, is so happy to be playing in this kind of environment because he really thrived in this, uh, in this kind of thing. And uh, the audience... Um, was listening, even though they were raucous and noisy, they were listening to every note. And you can, uh, you can feel the energy of the audience. And, of course, it affects the musicians as well. Because this is the kind of atmosphere, the most ideal atmosphere for playing jazz music. And these guys really rallied. So this is our jazz feature. And it's um, Gene Ammons on tenor saxophone with the... Richard Groove Holmes Trio, uh, with Richard Holmes on Hammond organ, Gene Edwards guitar, and Leroy Henderson on drums. We're going to open with a tune called The Happy Blues. It was uh, recorded er a number of years earlier by Gene Ammons uh, on another recording date, and he uh, used the riff to uh, open the set. The Happy Blues. And uh, then we go to a ballad. Uh, called Willow Weep for Me, written by Anne Rennell, and it's a, it's a, a blues ballad. Then uh, we're going to hear um, just a hard-hitting blues written by Gene Ammons called Hitting the Jug. Jug was Gene Ammons' nickname, and it wasn't because uh, he drank. It was because of, uh, he had big ears. <laughs> so when he was a kid, uh, he got teased by the other kids, and they called him Jughead, and that stayed. And, of course, later on, uh, it was just shortened to Jug, and that became his affectionate nickname. All right, hitting the Jug. Uh, following that is a tune called Exactly Like You. Um, it's a standard tune. And then we're going to uh, listen to the set closer, which is an up-tempo thing called simply Juggling Around, written by Gene Ammons. So here we go, back to the Black Orchid on a hot August night, August 15th, 1961, in Los Angeles. Gene Ammons with the Richard Groove Holmes Trio, our jazz feature for this evening. Sit back and dig this. Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, that was, I was going to say, a throwback to uh, August 15th, 1961, in the African-American district of Los Angeles, Watts, and um, a little neighborhood club called the Black Orchid. And uh, that was, of course, a great enthusiastic uh, audience. It didn't miss a thing as they listened to one of the uh, one of the great tenor saxophone players in the history of jazz music, Gene Ammons and company. Uh, Gene, of course, was a this was a one night engagement, and the, and the place was just packed. There was a lineup around the block to get in because Ammons was a, a huge favorite, and. Interestingly enough, in, in the history of the United States, um, especially in, in inner cities, these little neighborhood clubs, uh, most of them back then featured either blues or jazz. Today, of course, they feature R&B, soul music, uh, different styles of music. But jazz was a huge part of these uh, various neighborhood clubs. And the uh, organ trio was a particularly popular uh, instrumental combination because you, you could bring in horn players and the, the organ was like a big orchestra. And so a lot of the master Hammond organ players uh, uh, played in, in, uh, in these clubs, including the guy we heard this evening. This was Gene Ammons, was the, of course the honored guest on tenor saxophone and the star, and he was backed up by the house trio led by one of the giants of the Hammond organ, Richard Groove Holmes, originally from Camden, New Jersey. He moved out of that hellhole and moved to Los Angeles. And, and uh, uh, Richard was an um, ex-bass player, so his concept on the Hammond organ was one of the, one of the finest. He played some of the greatest bass lines. And um, he, he never went from piano to the Hammond organ, as most Hammond players have done. Uh, he went straight to the Hammond organ, never touched the piano, but uh, turned out to be one of the great masters of, uh, of that instrument. Uh, with his trio, with uh, Gene Edwards on guitar and Leroy Henderson on drums. That was the instrumental combination. We heard a whole bunch of tunes, beginning with uh, a tune that was actually from an recording session by Gene Ammons and a tune, little riff tune composed by um, trumpeter Art Farmer and it was called The Happy Blues and that opened the set then we moved to a ballad a beautiful blues ballad written by Anne Rennell called Willow Weep for Me then we went to a straight ahead nasty down the middle blues um, written by Gene Ammons called Hitting the Jug and then uh, we moved to a standard tune uh, a popular old standard tune called Exactly Like You. And we closed with an up-tempo um, excursion called Juggin' Around. And, of course, as I mentioned before, Jug was uh, Gene Ammon's nickname. Not because he drank a lot, but because he had big ears. And uh, when he was a little boy, <laughs> they called him Jughead. And uh, the nickname stuck. So uh, all his friends referred to him as Jug. One of the great voices of the tenor saxophone and our jazz feature artist this evening. So we hope you enjoyed the music and uh, a little trip uh, back in, uh, I guess, sociological times when uh, jazz was a big part of the uh, African-American community. It's not so much now, but uh, it's become 
a whole other thing. Jazz music is, of course, uh, called America's classical music. And um, I don't know whether I really appreciate the idea of it being a museum piece or not. Um, I don't think it is. It's still alive and well and cooking, as we heard on the jazz show this evening. We're going to wrap things up with a little taste of our uh, theme. And uh, we're also uh, um, going to tell you not to touch the dial because um, there's a brand new show coming up right after we hear uh, a taste of the theme and um, like that. So, and it'll be a surprise, of course. So I'm not going to say anything. Just keep your radio on. That's very important. Anyway, I'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening. This has been uh, another edition of The Jazz Show. My name is Gavin Walker. And, of course, you're listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we shall be back next week with some more uh, music and some more jazz and some more happenings. So we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care and enjoy the weather. It's going to be magnificent all week. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee We'll do it